1: Does it feel like Scott Morrison settling in for two terms?
0: Um, I think that uh, anybody who calls the next election now is a mug. I saw people who were predicting with great degree of certainty that we were going to win the last election, the day before the election, predicting with a great degree of certainty that we're going to lose the next mm-hmm. one. You know, well, you know, none of, none of us have the crystal ball.
1: Well, hello, good people of pods. You've survived the penultimate sitting week for... 2019 and so have we. It's Catherine Murphy, you're with Australian Politics Live and in the pod cave today,
0: here we are,
1: (laughs) he's looking nervous, (laughs) don't know why, Uh, is Chris Bowen, uh, who I still think of as the Shadow Treasurer, but he's not not the Shadow Treasurer anymore.
0: Enjoying being Shadow Minister for Health. Well,
1: you're quite busy in health.
0: I I am. Um, It's the portfolio I asked for after the election. Um, It's uh, very important to people's lives. It's very important to Labor's agenda, legacy and agenda, you know, building on Medicare. Yeah. It's very important to social justice. The social determinants of health are pretty strong in Australia. Your wealth and your postcode determine your health, and that offends me. Um, and um, it's uh, a really uh, – I've met in my six months in the portfolio a huge array of really interesting people doing really interesting things, from medical research institutes to – um, indigenous, uh, Aboriginal medical services, and really remote Australia—you mm. know, r- r- right up and down uh, across the board—and um, to be very honest with you, to be very, very frank, I'd done ten years of when I when I thought about it, ten years of pretty tough jobs. Um, in effect, ten years as either immigration, immigration minister, treasurer, mm. or shadow treasurer. Mm. Um, I'm not saying health's not a tough job, but it's 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 busy and hard and all that sort of stuff, but. Ten years of jobs, which have a degree of controversy attached mm, to them in sure. in immigration, and then Treasury, and you know hard decisions, and and um, you know uh, being the guy in the suit up the front talking about numbers and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Oh, mm. well,
1: you carry a big load. You, yeah, you carry, yeah. Well, the second biggest load. Well, forgive, forgive politicians who are listening. and will have a different view, but the <laughs> second biggest load after the prime minister. I
0: think most people would recognise that you know the Treasury portfolio in opposition or government is is really you know up there in the top sort of two or three in terms of controversy and workload and all mm. that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to do a job where, you know, I'm dealing with real people about real issues and, and, and frankly, a labour a, a, a more a more natural labour job yeah. as opposed to immigration yeah. in particular yeah. and in Treasury. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, let's, uh, as we're on the olden times, uh, just briefly, let's stick with the olden times. Mm. Uh, it sort of feels like centuries ago, really. Six months,
0: really. I know. It's amazing. Mm. Mm. Um, the next election is probably now two years away. Think well. about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
1: Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, so just I'll start with a simple question. Did you think you were going to lose the election?
0: No. No, I, look, I would say we weren't arrogant, we weren't hubristic. I know some people would put that, claim. I reject that completely. Bill Shorten and Tanya, all of us, I would reject that. I think we were talking every day and we were on high alert, you know. Um, there was no point where the leadership group or the senior team were putting their feet up to going, we're home. That, was just, that, that juncture did not happen. We were having 6 a.m. phone calls every day, batting away issues, identifying challenges, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, but all the objective e- evidence was that we were on track to win. Mm. The Libs thought they were going to lose. Don't let one of them tell you otherwise, mm. you know. Mm. The, Lib, the Lib staffers were looking for jobs. The Lib ministers were planning post-politics careers. Don't, and, and not unreasonably, you know. Um, uh, we'd been ahead in the opinion polls for, you know, Three, three years, yep. solidly, you know, longer really, you know, patchily, but three years solidly, um, we had successfully removed two prime ministers, mm. and two treasurers. Who we're on our third cycle. You know, Bill and I had faced Bill had faced three prime ministers, I faced three treasurers. Um, we'd won, you know, all the by elections that we could reasonably expect it to win, and that they'd lost you know, Wentworth and they mm. thought they'd win Mayo and they lost it and all that stuff. Yeah. So I thought – I think it was a reasonable analysis and expectation which I think, you know, I, I has a day hasn't gone by since when I haven't been stopped in the street by, you know, uh, a punter saying, I thought you were going to win and I'm very disappointed you didn't. I mean, that's what most people thought. Mm. And so it did come as a – I wouldn't say a shock because you never really know. Yeah. But – and, you know, as I said, we were never complacent about it but – you know, to be honest, yes, yeah. It's just we thought we were going to win, and I think most reasonable people mm, did thought the same. Mm.
1: So why didn't you?
0: Well, you know, Catherine, it, it, it's, it seems to me that uh, there's a bit of a cycle, a bit of a pattern here. Um, we should basically put in our diary two things, you know, election day and day after election day. Surprise, why the left left wing party didn't win? Mm. You know, Hillary Clinton, mm. Um, mm. you know, uh, Brexit in a different context. It, um, uh, right across, you know, and why the populists are the right and um, what we're seeing is the traditional blue-collar working-class base of labour or, or our equivalents around the world fraying, finding the message of populist right-wingers to some degree attractive. Yeah, and under our system, you know, under our other systems that might mean that the the vote frays, but under our system it flows straight back to the liberals and nationals through preferences, and we saw that. I mean. Our vote fell, so did the Liberals, mm. and Paulin Hanson's and Clive Palmer's rose, right. and then yeah. it swings yeah. right back to them. And yeah. and in marginal or safe Liberal seats, um, people of you know high wealth and um, you know comfortable means swung to us, to us. Um, but we had swings away from us in more traditional Labor areas. Now there is no one reason why that's the case, and you know the review that we've just went through found that, you know, it identified a few issues. But if you removed, you could, and you know, obviously I've thought a lot lot about this since. If you removed any one of those issues, you could say, well, they would have won, you Mm -hmm. know, but with all of them it was too much. Too much. Um,
1: What about, because obviously... what about the revenue measures specifically? Like, uh, I want to talk about that. Sure. I want to talk about that period. So, I, what you were you were responsible for those? Yes. We'll unpack that shortly. Sure. But you were responsible for those. What role did they play in Labor's election uh, defeat? I,
0: I agree with the review, the Emerson the review, which found that. I think the I think the line in there, I don't want to misquote them, but from memory, the line is Labor's tax policies did not cost the election. Uh, you know, and the people who swung to us were affected by our tax policies. You know, the, the conventional wisdom was we were taking money off people yeah. and they wouldn't vote for us. That's not what happened. But I also agree, and this is very important with the review, that the size of our agenda scared people, for want of a better word, um, and the general Labor tax and spend message got up. You know, so it wasn't one particular measure. Yeah. It was the general liberal scare campaign on tax. You know, despite the fact our... Tax to GDP ratio rise was pretty modest, despite the fact that the policies that Bill and I and the team put together look pretty modest compared to what most of the Democratic candidates in the U.S. primary yeah. are, are nominating. Yeah. You know, we look like yeah. wusses.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a much more centrist agenda than Elizabeth Warren, for absolutely, example, or Bernie and, and, Sanders, and or, or Jeremy the, Corbyn.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. most of the candidates in all or, or, or British Labour, yes. Um, it was a, it was seen as radical in the Australian context but in the international context it was it was very modest really mm. um, but no I think the review got that part of it pretty right to say now of course when you are raising money to spend on health and education and infrastructure and other things you've got a choice you can either hit everybody like you know you remember you've got to remember through the context of particularly in the over the six years we spent a considerable part of the first half of those six years arguing against people who said we should increase the GST. Mm. You know, there were people in the Labor Party even saying the GST should go up. Now, if we'd increased the GST as our policy, it wouldn't have been a close election in my view. It would have been a landslide mm. against us. Against you. Against mm. us. Because you're hitting ordinary people, yeah. you know. Uh, it's a regressive tax. So, then, or, or you can say, well, let's close down some loopholes, reform some loopholes, loopholes which are in, you know, um which are regressive, no longer fit for purpose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Wait,
1: what, with franking credits, mm. for example, uh, and we'll get into the why the revenue measures in just a sec, but uh, with franking credits, um, now, obviously, you know, you're know, you not the leader. It's not your job to announce what the policy may or may not be. Mm. But do you think, uh, regardless of where Labor goes on that, and anecdotally, MPs say it was franking credits was bad for them, difficult for well, It was for certainly them.
0: the most controversial, loudest yes. of the measures, Exactly,
1: yes. right. But- at the end of the day, the the impact of that on the budget is unsustainable.
0: Yeah, look, I I, I don't want to get in the way of um, Albo and Jim and the work they're doing to you know prepare, and there'll be a shadow cabinet conversation about all those things in due course. Um, but you know, we identified areas which we thought were unsustainable mm. going forward, mm. um, and
1: it's still unsustainable, isn't it? Like the facts don't change just, a lot, just because it, it, it remains a lot it. of money.
0: It remains a lot of money, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, roughly what we spend on public schools is the equivalent of of what goes on franking credit. So it remains a lot of money. Now, as I said, I think uh, Albo has made the right call to say all policies are effectively not policies anymore and then we'll work out which ones come back. Um, Yeah, and then we we had a lot of different revenue-raising policies, some of which weren't controversial, really. I mean, remember, like, say, family trust reform, for example, which Mm. was a big one Mm. uh, that we did, that I did, Yeah, a lot of dollars. we we thought a lot about Mm, it, you know. It's been in the too hard basket for 40 years, basically. Several Liberal Treasurers thought about doing it and got their knees cut off Mm. and couldn't proceed. Mm. In the end, it was going to raise about $7 billion. I mean, really. really, Not not a peep. Not a peep. I mean, you, I would say, probably didn't lose a vote over it, really. Mm. Um, Frank and Credits was a lot louder and more controversial, more people impacted. Um, We've got... there is no rush for us to make calls on these things, you know, as Albo has said. Um, obviously, if you raise less revenue, you'll spend less. Yeah. Jim's made that point, yeah, and he's right about that.
1: Well, yeah, now, I want to drill into this slightly, right? Mm. Because y- you and I spoke a lot really over, over the last oh. parliamentary term, you know on on this show and elsewhere, yep. just about Labor's thinking on and economic repositioning and you know, and that was uh, that, you know that's a big, complicated debate, mm. fascinating debate, mm. really. Mm. and and uh, but, at the end of the day, you, uh, you know, given the sort of given your values mm. and your mentors mm. in politics, mm. you were a slightly odd front man for a big taxing agenda. Well, hang on, hang on, okay. hang on, okay. hang on. You'll,
0: right. I'll, you'll, you'll
1: have plenty of chances to okay, say okay. you're okay. an idiot. You're an idiot. That's fine.
0: I won't call you but, an idiot or a doofus no, no, or any, well, any okay, such thank term. You.
1: Don't mention the wall. <laughs> um, uh, But. Um, you, you were a slightly odd front man, right? So um, was did you have to chase revenue measures in order to pay for spending that was not adequately restrained in the last term of parliament? Because that's what it looks like.
0: So, okay, yeah, that's a fair question. You took a while to ask it, so let me take a little while to answer it. You, you call me a fairly odd front man because I'm generally, you know, I'm not the right of the party, mm. I think is what you're implying. Yeah, well, it's actually true to say that, yeah, because you're true. in the right yes, and Keating someone, is your
1: mentor. Yes, right? and
0: Paul Keating is correctly seen um, as my, you know, mentor is not a term I particularly use, but sure, I'll accept it. You know, we talk a lot and, um, you know, he's also a hero and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've made the point several times, including in the recent Paul Keating inaugural Paul Keating mm. lecture I made, but mm. I'd made it previously. People forget what the Keating agenda is. You know, mm. in my view, it, you know, all these years later, it sort of gets rewritten in history. He was closing down tax loopholes and reforming tax loopholes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure, he was reducing tax rates, but we were too. I mean, we had bigger tax cuts on the table for most of that six-year term. Um, you know, capital gains tax was his. Fringe benefits tax was his. Um, Hugely controversial at the time. The, yeah. the Liberals went to the 1987 election promising to reverse them. Um, so, you know, I won't accept that Keatingism and, and sort of that political no, tradition no, is that, some sort of pallid version of, yeah. of Liberalism. No, it no, was totally aggressive. Fair. No, that's totally um, And, you know, unfair. I think what I was doing and what we were doing was in keeping with that agenda. Um, and you know um I was talking to Paul all through that process and you know running ideas past him and, yeah, and you know
1: his own views evolved as well right yes. Keating's own views but but, but but the general point right yes spending was yes
0: spending. no no I'm getting know to, no, to yep. get to your point yes we had again yeah we had a, a spent a big ish spending agenda um all of which was justified on its merits you know health education in particular you could quibble about some of the other ones um uh, you know, uh, in, in less sort of high-profile areas as to whether they were political um, benefits. rewards, benefits for doing it. Um, and I, I think, yes, you're going forward, if I could put it that way, we've got to make sure that our, our spending is under control um, and, you know, is, is rigorously applied and that a big agenda is not necessarily always in every element a big spending agenda. Hmm. I mean, there are other things you can do as a political party. There's, there's, um, uh, there's processes you can put in place. There's, there's policies you can change. There's, there's rigorous um, testing you can apply, which is progressive and big in agenda, but which is not big spending. Uh, and I think we've always got to be thinking about: well, is is spending the first option? Or the last option, or is there other ways we can be progressing the agenda? Some, of course, in some elements it'll be spending, you mm. know, um, but doesn't always have to be. Um, and I think that uh, you know we need to supply every bit of support to that to our to our leadership team to provide that big spending agenda. And so, for example, in in my health portfolio, yes, of course. Without going to well, it's
1: funny with now the boots on the other foot. Oh yeah, I've
0: joked. I've joked a bit about that with colleagues. Well, you know, I'll be coming to the table asking for that. I used to be used to be uh, Doctor No, exactly. And 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 I would say, in fairness, without going into details, I don't want to go into internal discussions. But you know, most of our colleagues would have argued that Jim and I, as the sort of economics team, were pretty tough on them. You know, a lot of spending got rejected. Mm. You know, you saw got approved. You didn't see all the times we were saying no. We've, no, go away, no, um, which is how it should be. There's a process, right? Um, you now, you can argue maybe we should have said no more often or maybe we should have won the argument more often. You can, you know, Again, I'm not going to go through internal discussions, but you can make that case. But um, and the point I'm making to you is I wouldn't want to leave you or your listeners with the impression that you know, we were just Mr. Yes uh, mm. to all spending. We were not to we Shadow ministers doing really good work, coming up with really good ideas, um, really w- well um, crafted, and they'd come to us and we say, "No, we can't afford that." Mm. You know, mm. on a daily basis. Again, that's our job. it mm. will be Jim and Katie's job now. And uh, <laughs> good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> good luck to them. But yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess what we're coming back to is the opening point that I made that I agree with the review. The review said, "Well, basically, spending set the agenda." Tax had to pay for it, mm. um, and you either you tax everybody through something like an g- increase in the GST, or you do the sorts of things we did.
1: But did you? I, I'll I'll just ask that we're going to get onto the future in a sec. But right. I'll just ask: Did it give you the shits? I mean, in the in the sense that you know there was a dynamic immediately you know, while everyone was waiting for the review. Yes. Right. What will the review say? Will, yes, the, yes. The, will the review be terrible? To Bill? Yes. Uh, who will the review finger most? Will it? Will Bowen be the mm. bad guy? Will Mark Butler be the bad mm. guy? Who will be the mm. villain of the piece, right? Mm. Um, did it, like, what you're telling me in this conversation is the last term in Parliament was the sum of its parts, mm. right? Sure. <laughs> did did it did it frustrate you, that period of wondering whether or not was, you were going to be Colonel Mustard with no. the candlestick
0: <laughs> in the library? Not particularly that element. Um, again, to be frank with you, There isn't a day that's gone by since the election where I haven't gone through a period of, Mm. you know, introspection as to what did we do, what did I do, could I have done things differently, better? Of course, the inevitable answer to that for all of us is yes, because we came second in the election. Um, You know, me no less than anybody else. Um, Was I particularly worried about the review or blame game and all that sort of stuff? No, not really, because at the end of the day, people will make their own judgments. I know what I think. Um, I know I did my best. I know the team did our best. We couldn't have worked harder. Um, we have to reflect on where we fell short, and we did fall short. Um, and we have to, most importantly, learn the lessons going forward. I think in the immediate aftermath of the election, it was very easy and understandable for people to say, "Ah, it must have been the tax policies," mm-hmm. you know, "must have been... Uh, clearly, obviously, the tax policies." And you know, I think it was a whole lot more complex and nuanced than that. I'm not saying our our tax policies didn't play a role, but I think you know the review correctly says, well, the people who actually impacted by the policies voted for us or swung to us, there are a whole heap of other issues, uh, Christianity and religious freedom yeah. played a role, um, which I've pointed out as well, yeah. and, you know, that would that was a bigger issue in some places than others, Yeah, bigger issue in Western Sydney and Queensland than it would have been in Victoria or elsewhere, you know, just a, a few random examples. I mean, obviously, there are different issues at play in Queensland, um, you know. If, if the election was decided between B- Baha'i, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, Northern Territory, Tasmania mm. and the ACT, You'd we'd have a government. nice comfortable yeah. majority. Yeah. Queensland and Western Australia coming in means we lost. Yeah. Um, so if our policies and our agenda got us a majority in most of the states or you know, in, in those states and territories minus Queensland and Western Australia, we got something right. We clearly got other things wrong. And there was obviously, very particularly in Queensland, a whole bunch of issues and, you know, of course, Adani is one of them, which played particularly badly for us. Um, that's just a statement of fact. Um, you know, so you, you, uh, how, uh, all of us, I think, have gone through, and me included, a period of, of thinking we've let people down, we've let our supporters down um, by by losing, mm. you know, because mm. people were relying on us to be a better government than this rotten, awful, god-awful, terrible bunch of jokers that we've got now. Um you know, we're going to have to put up with for the next two years. But above it all is a sense of determination to be part of the winning team next time. Uh, and that that's the overriding, um, you know, emotion that I have determination um, to keep going and to win the next election and to be a good government. And um, again, I don't want to get into, you know, which policy or that, but, but the answer is not no policies. Mm. The answer is not a small agenda. Mm. I mean, We've, we, we lost two elections last year, or the, you know this year, New South Wales and federal. The federal yep. New South Wales with a, you know, I'm not being critical, but New South Wales with a small policy agenda, we lost quite badly. You know, they, they didn't have big controversial policies out there, and they lost. And we had big controversial policies and lost. You know, we lost in 98 um, with basically no policies. Um, we lost in 01 with no policies. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, again, I mean, I'm using shorthand, but not with the big controversial yeah. policies. Yeah. Um a small, a small target agenda does does not
1: Yeah, equal victory.
0: Equal victory. It equal does victory. not. And where would we be if we said, Oh well let's just roll in a small ball small ball and do nothing and we lose next time? <laughs> you know. Um, you know, thinking we'll surf to victory on the on the back of their incompetence. On
1: the on the, on the giant nothingness no. and, and the government's incom- incompetence.
0: So so here I say the answer is not a small agenda. The answer is an agenda which better connects and and, uh, and a political narrative. And I don't think in hindsight we brought the narrative of what we were doing together well enough, clearly. about This is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And here's the broader picture for our country and our society. Um, and I spent a lot of time batting away arguments about, well, you're not affected and you're not affected and you are affected and here's why mm. but not as much as you think, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And, I, you know, I spent hours dealing with all that and, you know, I think I I, I look back retrospectively and I think about what I got right and what wrong and I think I'm, you know, and there's plenty of things where I think, oh, no, I could have done that better. But on those things, I think we did well, mm. you know. Mm. But what, what we didn't do, obviously, is bring the argument together. together. For voters who, in some instances, only tuned in at the last minute, you know, what we call low informational voters. They're busy people, bring busy lives, worried much more about who's going to pick up the kitchen soccer and get the dinner on the table than, you know, What's what going what, on in what Josh Frydenberg or yep. Chris Bowen or Jim Chalmers said today, you know. Yeah. And, you know, two days before the election start to think about it and then looked at it and clearly too many of those people just said, mm, no, too risky. I think I don't like the current guys very much, but I think I'll stick with them.
1: Mm. Just religious freedom before mm. we look forward Um, uh, as you say that seems to have been a particular issue Mm. in Western Sydney Mm. rubbers about to hit the road in the parliament on religious freedom and there was an indicative position put to caucus this week um, about religious freedom which suggested it it was suggestive to my ear that uh, labour would be resistant to um, flowing uh, the provisions Mm -hmm. that exist now in religious schools for example to Mm. aged care Facilities mm. and other things. Is that what's your view?
0: Well, again, we, we've still got a process to go through, and we don't yet know the final legislation. Yeah, you know, the, the, this has been a dog's breakfast on Christian Porter's behalf, and we don't yet know exactly the form that it will go to the Parliament. But I'll say this, Catherine. I mean, I represent a very religious community. I mean, the socially conservative community. My my electorate voted no on same-sex marriage. I voted yes, and I I knew there would be a political price to pay for that. Um, because I wasn't representing the views of many of my constituents, but I was honest with them about that and upfront with them at the election before last and said I would be voting yes. So, you know, I wanted to do that to get a mandate so that they, you know, they couldn't say I changed my mind yeah, post election sure. or whatever. Yeah. But I knew it was going to be controversial. Um, uh, I've been talking to, you know, so I've got an electorate which is, I, th- I think I'm running saying the most Catholic electorate in Australia, certainly in New South Wales, and also a very heavy representation of the Orthodox religions. Orthodox Christianity, I, I, I've got the biggest representation of that. So Christianity is – they're not just ch- Christians. Mm. Christianity is very important to who they are. Yes, yeah. It's part but of they, their identity. Uh, yes, and they generally have voted for me yeah. um, um, as a progressive politician. Um, but this bill is friendless, friendless. I mean, the, 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 they have cocked it up so badly that I, I've got my religious leaders saying, oh, well, we don't like it. <laughs> we think it's a pretty ordinary piece of legislation. Um you know, and there's a whole bunch of people. I've also met with people. On the other side, you know, I spent a lot of time with um, meeting with gay and lesbian um, representatives, and they don't like it. And you know, I'll, I'll have my say internally, but it's a pretty friendless piece of legislation.
1: But what about that principle, though? Uh, that obviously schools are currently permitted to discriminate.
0: Yeah, but um, they, but they don't in fact. like no 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 they don't discriminate against students. I've seen no evidence and they all say even the most conservative, you know, small c, orthodox conservative religious leader in my electorate would say, if a student comes out as gay in our school, we embrace them and we don't expel them.
1: But but, but for hiring? Yes. Different
0: issues going. Remember, this was a big issue in – the Wentworth by election. Mm. Scott Morrison promised to fix it. Yes. You know, and, and has done nothing. Yes. But what, what is years. your own view? Should those well,
1: discriminations apply or not?
0: Well, I think you've got to see that through the context of the broader religious freedom bill, or well, religious. It's not a religious freedom bill. That's what they promised. It's yes. not what they delivered. Well, it's an anti discrimination. An anti discrimination bill. Yeah. Bill. yeah. Or um, a positive discrimination well, bill. Well, so it's not maybe. actually positive discrimination. I mean, they actually promised a religious freedom bill and what they've done is a religious discrimination bill mm. but they've cocked it up in its delivery. Now, to be clear, there's a, we, we're all for religious freedom. I mean, I'm, I haven't really met anybody who doesn't advocate for freedom mm. of religion. Mm. Um, and then there's a complicated, you know, I mean, I've met with gay clergy <laughs> you mm. know, sure. <laughs> who have... You know, very considered views about these things. Mm. Um, So, look, I think you can't just single out one issue and say, "Well, what do you think about that issue?" You've got to see it in the terms of the context. And I've told you, I've told you, I think the legislation as it's drafted is pretty bloody ordinary.
1: But you've also told me that this is a this is a a huge issue for Labor. It's a huge
0: issue, and we were uh, we were alive to it in the campaign. I mean, I think back again, we had our six am phone hookups every day, and I think, well, what were the incoming issues? What were we worried about? Mm. You know, what, what? And this was one of them. Perhaps it was more acute than we realised, but we were alive to it. We weren't complacent about it. You know, Israel Folau blew up big time, yeah. and I think we didn't realise how, how just how biting that would be.
1: Well, well, Bill Shorten just waded right into that. And,
0: uh... and in fairness to Bill, um, I, mem- I remember he was asked in one of those town halls, I think it was the Sky one, he was asked by a, clearly a person of religion about Israel Folau, and I thought his answer was fine. Mm. You know, I thought he gave a perfectly appropriate sympathetic answer, and she was shaking her head at him. At him. Mm. You know, he mm. he wasn't connecting on that issue, and that's not his fault, because I think I would have given exactly the same answer. Mm. Um, clearly that, in a way that wasn't on the front page of every newspaper, in terms of its electoral context, mm. was a big issue, but it's an electoral context. It, it worried people of faith that, you know, whether they agreed with Israel for law or not, and of course he said, you know, more outrageous things yes. since, but at yes. the time, I mean, what he said was was outrageous in and of itself, but you know, but there were plenty of people even who they didn't agree with. And so, well, you know, um, I've got some religious views too, and I want the right to those. And I think it was a much bigger issue politically and electorally than anybody really realised.
1: Do you at the think time. it's slightly multidimensional in this sense, right? That it's the, there's the there's people for whom religion is an identity issue, mm. as mm. you've identified, but there's also a sort of um, dynamic in the community where there are clearly some people think you've got to shut up. Right, yes. that, you, that things are all There's too PC. Yes, that's right. And you and you're you're not allowed to say things Correct. like, you know, um, well, stuff Israel Falao said, or
0: or stuff even not as I as, don't like gays or, or whatever. Or,
1: right, that or, some
0: thought police will, or, or in, from their point of view, reflect the Bi- what the Bible says. Yes,
1: not, right. So, um, do you think that's part of it too? Because then yes. that makes it even more complicated. Yeah,
0: and I think and I think that means we have to acknowledge that if that is the perception. It is therefore the reality. You know, if if somebody feels that, even if they can say that and not be discriminated against, yeah. if they feel they can't express their religious views, they feel persecuted, or potentially persecuted for their religious views, that's a problem. Even if, as Bill said, I don't understand what you what you think you can't say. Um, you know, as you said in that yes, answer, exactly. Yeah. But if the person says, "Well, I don't think I can reflect my views in polite conversation," or you know, um, then I think that's a problem for society and, and for those of us who care about freedom of expression.
1: But it's but it's it's complex, isn't it? In your Keating lecture, I sort of read you engaging with the culture point, mm. engaging with the culture mm. wars point, mm. and saying, "Well, we as progressives have just got to continue the process of of well, education makes it sound patronising, yeah, no. but right, not." Not validating those views necessarily, but taking uh, yeah, it on, but, don't but taking, it on. taking it on. Right. It on. Whereas Claire O'Neill, and I'm not trying to set you up at odds, uh, but Claire O'Neill was more, well, we've sort of, well, I mean, God, I was going to say, got to cuddle those views, and that's not at all what she said. No. What she said was much more complex and interesting than that. Yeah. But.
0: And I don't think, I, I know you're not, I don't think what she we, and I said were, were contradictory, really. No,
1: but it's, but there's a nuance there, right? Sure. So.
0: <laughs> well, my point was, my point was, um, the Conservatives and, you know, our critics in the media say, oh, Labor plays identity politics too much. That's bullshit. The, conserv- the, the Liberals play identity politics much more than we do and much more effectively. They play it much better. Um, they, they divide Australians. I mean, Scott Morrison in particular, is a divider. He divides Australians. Um, you know, he gave a speech the other, the other week. I... I almost drove off the road when I was listening to it on a podcast. He talked about the goat's cheese circle, encircling inner city. I mean, this is a, This is the Prime Minister of all Australians. Mm. He's, he's meant to be all of our – even those of us – Who like who, goat's cheese. <laughs> I don't mind a bit of feta. Everything's better with feta. Um But I don't regard myself as an inner city lefty either. You know, I represent and live in the outer suburbs of Sydney. I grew up there, raising two kids there now, both going to public school. We don't sit around – you mm. know,
1: with your pinky out eating, Smithfield yeah. eating
0: avocado yeah. smash every day, mm. and with mm. with Fetter on top. Mm. Um, but my point is, I'm, you know, I'm I'm going off on a tangent. My point is, he's di- they're dividers. You know, he's dividing Australians in be- between. You know, people who like goat's cheese and apparently the real Australians in the regions who you know apparently don't like goat's cheese. I mean. Bugger off, mate. Stop dividing us like that. Um, that's identity politics. And they did it most effectively, I think, in the election campaign. And this was a big, I mean, this, we were dealing with this on our 6am phone calls every day. And uh, we did get this wrong um, in terms of the politics of it. They did it most effectively on electric cars, mm-hmm. ironically enough. Yeah. You know, Mark Butler did great policy. It was a ripper of a policy. I endorsed it in the when it came to Shadow Cabinet. I thought he'd done really good work. Electric cars, who can argue? They're very expensive, so let's get... Let's get the market up so the price comes down and people get more choice. And if you want an electric car, you can buy one. If you don't, you don't have to. But at the moment, they're out of reach of most people because they're so bloody expensive. Now, they then turn that into they're coming for your utes. Mm.
1: War on the weekend. War
0: on the weekend. War on the weekend. War on the four wheel drives. War on the utes. War on the tradies. That's identity politics played very effectively. You know, on a policy matter, which we were looking at through a. Economic prism, and environmental lens. prism, yeah, yeah. Mm. And we thought, to the degree it had political implication, we thought, well, young people, you know, like the idea of an electric car, can't afford it. That'll be pretty popular. Didn't see it being weaponized in suburbs and regions, as you know, they're going to come and take your forward territory. You know, that bad Bill Jordan, Brisbane, they're going to come and confiscate your your mm. your t- your Vehicle. Kluger. Mm. Um, yes. Um, and it worked for them. I mean, it, it was a big issue mm. and a negative one for us. Um. So that's identity politics. And that's what I'm saying about culture wars. It's not just about the obvious, you know, Israel our. No. You know. No. It's yeah. about them saying to people, in effect, they don't say this, but this is this is what they're – we want you to vote against your economic interests because we're not very good to you, mm. but but we're on your side culturally. Yeah. Well, that's, mm.
1: that's the divide, isn't yes,
0: it? Yes. Yes. That's the divide. So um, I say, all right. You want to fight about the culture wars? All right, here we go. Slaves up, let's get into it. Mm. You know, We're going to stand up for our values. And our values, what we have to do is constantly remind people, tell people and remind ourselves it's our job, we're on your side. It sounds like a motherhood statement, but we haven't said it enough. Mm. You know, we are on the side of the trade. We have better policies for middle-income people and tradies. And tradies want their kids to go to a good school. And they want to know that they're not going to be waiting for 12 hours at the emergency department mm. and mm. if something goes wrong on a Sunday night and all that stuff. We have better policies and all of that. But obviously, we didn't do a good enough job in connecting that to their everyday lives. And they had the simple message about, well, they're going to come and take you forward Territory and, you know, they're going to put your taxes up, even though most people weren't affected by our tax policies, mm. all that sort of stuff.
1: Mm. Mm. Now, I mean, oh God, time's against us. I was going to didn't do we, much more. Well, I thought, I thought
0: well, we were just getting going.
1: Well, 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 we are. This is the problem. Time is against us, though. I was going to do much more on the future, but uh, time time doesn't pl- allow.
0: I reckon people will listen to a three-hour podcast, well, from you and well, me. I mean... <laughs> Oh, there are some out there, you know. <laughs> oh,
1: no, no there, there are, some people would. Some people would. <laughs> and, also, also, and we love them. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you yes. for subscribing. We love all yes, of you. we, lo- yes. we do. I
0: do. I do too. But yes. I
1: can feel the producer's anxiety. Um. Uh, so uh, So let's do – we might have a conversation in due course about the future, which is more detailed than the one we're about to have. Sure. Let me, uh, let me say, okay, looking forward over the term, what do you want to achieve?
0: Uh, well, I want to put together a good health policy for for the team. Um, you know, the the policies last time, which I was very proud of, funding, you know, Catherine King did the work, the policy work, but I was very proud of Shadow Treasury to fund them. Um, particularly, you know, what I think is the next frontier of Medicare, which is um dental. Mm. Um mm. you know, poor oral health leads to poor health. And there are too there are too many people, and we targeted pensioners because that's where it's at its most acute who lose their teeth because they can't afford to see the dentist. And the, the states are groaning under a long waiting list for their public schemes. So I'm not announcing health policy today. But, you know, when I asked for the health portfolio, I thought, well, Neil blew it. You know, um, Medicare, the the agenda, um, and there's still much more to do. And we, we talk about universal health care. I've stopped using the term universal health care. Because no one knows what it means. No, because it's not true.
1: Oh, I see. Because it's yeah, because, that there because, are there are large emissions. Because there are yep. um,
0: there are millions of people who put off care because they can't afford it. Yeah, Medicare is I think the best healthcare system in the world. It's a great Labour achievement. It is not yet perfect. I want to make it more perfect, um, and I, I want to be a very important part of the alternative government, and I want to be a very important part of the next Labour government.
1: And does it feel like Scott Morrison settling in for two terms?
0: Um. I think that uh, anybody who calls the next election now is a mug. Uh, I think that it's very easy. You know, I saw, I saw. I don't want to name names because they're not bad people, but I saw people who were predicting with great degree of certainty that we were going to win the last election the day before the election, predicting with a great degree of certainty that we're going to lose the next mm, one. Mm, you know, well, mm. you know, none of none of us have the crystal ball. I do know this. I was elected in two thousand and four. I was very happy to be here, but the party was pretty depressed. <laughs> not not about my arrival, no, <laughs> about, no, about our defeat no, in two thousand and four. Mark Latham about the Mark Latham a, election after Correct. Yes. And mm. I remember, and you, you remember, because you were here too. John Howard was utterly dominant. Mm. I remember, in Question Time, sitting there. I was a very you know junior backbencher, and John Howard was, of course, you know, hard of hearing, and so the house was raucous. And as prime minister, he would just put up his hand, and everybody behind him would go quiet. He didn't have to say a word; didn't turn around. He just put up his hand. That was a, that was the degree of his dominance mm. of the chamber. Mm. He was monstering us every day. He was, and people were saying breathlessly, "The next prime minister, next Labour prime minister, is not yet in the parliament." Um, I, I think some said, the next Labour prime minister has not yet been born. Mm. I mean,
1: mm. I do remember that. Actually. Yeah, mm.
0: and what happened within three years? He'd lost his seat, and we had a very significant majority on the floor of the House of Representatives. You know, that that was not predicted at the beginning of that term. So I say we might win the next election, we might lose the next election. I do not know. Mm. I've got no idea. All I know is we have to give ourselves the best chance.
1: Well, good note to end on, Chris. Thank yes. you for coming in. Uh, thank you, as always, to Miles Mountoney, executive producer of this show, and to his team. Remember, Full Story, Guardian Australia's other podcast. You can subscribe to that uh, via your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your pods. If you are an intermittent listener to this series, don't forget subscribe. Then you get every episode. Next week is the final parliamentary sitting week. Can you believe it?
0: Uh, yeah, I wish it was this week. But well, anyway, <laughs> so does Angus Taylor, just quietly. No, so does, I
1: think so does everyone. Oh, it's oh god, it's been a year. It has been a time. It has been a year. Anyway, final sitting week next yes. week. We'll be back with you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?